um, the rapture would happen before the tribulation and that the tribulation was a seven-year period of time and that Jesus was going to rapture his church before that time and then there'll be seven years of real, real bad stuff and then the Lord would return, okay? And, um, and basically every Bible teacher I'd ever heard held that view. I just had never heard anybody give any other view, so I thought, oh, this is the view. And, um, and so, uh, you know, saw the movies, um, <laughs> and, and it was like, wow, these movies got the same view too. Imagine that, you know, and there's, there's like, uh, before there was Left Behind, there was a, a, a 70s movie called A Thief in the Night. Anybody ever seen A Thief in the Night? Scare the crud out of you. I mean, Thief in the Night. It's like, man, I don't want to miss the rapture for anything. And then I remember, um, as a youth pastor, we, there was this, uh, they had this haunted house, Christian haunted house, called Tribulation Trail. Yes. It's like, everybody missed the rapture, and you're like, ah! I mean, it's just so scary. And uh, there, there's, a, there's a fair amount of stuff to be, you know, hey, that's scary in the Bible, but I remember just thinking, like, this is, we, I gotta not miss the rapture, man. Anything to not miss the rapture, anything to not miss the rapture, and um, and so then, here's what here's what happened. I remember I I started uh, listening to some friends who had a different view. Now they weren't they were not um, post trib like I am, but they had a different view, and they would um, they were poking holes in the pre trib view, and I was thinking, huh? I'm, you know, they had all these questions and they had all these um, alternate arguments, and I was just thinking. I've never thought of that. I've never thought of that. I've never thought of that. And they were just drilling it. And I'm like, wow, they really have done some studying. And here's me. And at this point, I'm in the ministry. I've been in the ministry like nine years. And I'd never done the work. I was literally just parroting what I'd heard, like Bible teachers on TV and others, movies. <laughs> and, and then I, so it, it landed to, on me like, oh my gosh, I'm... I'm preaching like what I saw in a movie and I've not actually done the work in the scriptures. Wow. And so one time, so I was in the middle of this conundrum. I'm going to, I'm going to sneeze. I think come out and uh, you get that thing. It's like, come out. Um, anyway, I, uh, so, um, so I, I'm in the middle of this sort of conundrum and, and I'm, I'm, I'm sharing with my youth group one time, and I say, um, I say, uh, while I'm preaching, uh, I say, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, I don't know, it's all going to pan out anyway, I'm going to be pan-trib. I say that out of my mouth, and when I do, I hear the Lord speak to my heart real strong, He says, that's irresponsible. You know, I mean, <laughs> so I'm like, uh, and then I hear him say, don't ever say that again to a group I've given you responsibility to shepherd. So that's while I'm preaching. You don't want to hear the Lord saying that on the inside of you while you're preaching. That is not a good thing to hear. And so I'm like, uh, 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 and I just kind of, whatever, bumble through the rest of the message. But from there, I'm like, okay, I can't do that. I can't do pan trip. And I thought it was a cute joke. I'd heard others say it, and I thought, oh, that's cute. And the Lord was like, You're, that's irresponsible. 
you can't be irresponsible. And so um, I started digging into to the word and, and digging into the scriptures and trying to understand. First, I want to understand tribulation. And, um, and what I realized was there's like, there's nothing that defined tribulation as seven years. We have one uh, passage in the book of Daniel that talks about um, this 70th week, which is a seven-year period of time for sure, that defines a, a covenant that's going to be signed. But there's nothing that says that's the tribulation. And then I was coming into verses like this one, like John, who wrote the book of Revelation, verse 9, Revelation 1. He says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. He said, I was on the island that's called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And he goes in and starts giving this experience. And I, and I was thinking, John was saying he's, he was in the tribulation then. Huh. And so then um, I started looking at where, so the word tribulation is thlipsis, the Greek word thlipsis. And it seems to be that there's this understanding from the apostles that this is the normal state of uh, Christians in the earth. Um, and, and Jesus even said that in this world you will have tribulation, eclipses. But then Jesus, in Matthew 24, and I think Andrew taught you guys in Matthew 24, he identified that there is this thing called great tribulation. The Greek words are megas eclipses. There's a, a specific time of concentrated tribulation that's going to happen on the earth. Well, as I started digging into it, the time signature that showed up the most was 42 months or 1260 days or this, this phrase time, times, and half a time. And time is one year, times is two years, and half a time. So that's three and a half years. 1260 days, three and a half years. 42 months, three and a half years. And you see that time frame constantly repeated and what you realize is it's talking about the same three and a half years. And that megasthalipsis, that, that time of greatest tribulation the earth has ever seen, which is how Jesus described it. There's gonna be a time of tribulation greater than has ever been in the history of the earth he describes it in Matthew 24 that way, that that time frame, that 1260, 42 months, time, times, and half time, it is, it is that time of greatest tribulation. And so when I, when I started digging, digging into that and I realized, oh, wow, there's nothing that ever says the tribulation is seven years. John said, we're in the tribulation. Jesus said, in this earth, you'll have tribulation. But then I started seeing this other three and a half year time frame. I'm like, I, there's, there's, that's not what I've understood. And there's probably many things that I've been thinking that I've been taught that are not what the Bible says. So I started feverishly looking for the, the rapture, the pre-tribulation rapture, that anything that would happen before the megasthlipsis, the, the great tribulation, where is that? Where is that catching away? And the proof texts that people would use for that, I couldn't actually find a rapture in those proof texts. Like one of the big ones I remembered for me was Revelation 4.1, it's John, after he gets the seven letters to the seven churches, um, the scene changes, and he says, after these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, 
And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. And he says immediately, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And it goes on, and he has this, you know, experience experience in the throne room of God. He sees the Heavenly Father. He sees Jesus, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He sees the scroll in the right hand of the Father, and, and Jesus takes the scroll, and, and then everybody cries worthy, and he sees the four living creatures. He sees the sea of glass, and all this stuff. Well, I had been taught that that was the rapture, that that was where the church got raptured, Revelation 4, 1. But when you read this thing in context, this is not about the church getting raptured. It's about John going through an open door. It has nothing to do with anyone else. There's no one else mentioned. Um, it, and so there, was, there would be these arguments like that. And they say, so the word church never shows up in the book of Revelation after Revelation 4.1. Thus, Revelation 4.1 is the rapture. But, I mean, there's all sorts of um, times the word saints shows up, which is the same word that's used in the New Testament just to describe the church, the saints. And so uh, there's no distinguishing there. So I started going into these verses like Revelation 4.1 and just going, okay, what's the context? What's this actually saying? Is this saying this is the whole world being, all the believers in the earth being taken up, or is this saying something else? And, and I literally could not find a, a rapture that happened prior to the tribulation. And so, so then um, this is where, there was two thoughts where it kind of it just it just finalized it for me. And if we'll look at these, First uh, Thessalonians four, I'll just take this. This is a uh, a little bit of a theological conversation, but I'll give you this First uh, Thessalonians four and Second Thessalonians two conversation. But I remember coming to grips with this idea, um, and then these passages. So the idea was, if we're going to get raptured out of here before any kind of tribulation happens, what is the message right now to my brothers and sisters who are in North Korean prison camps? And I started studying the persecuted church and found that there was 100,000 at least believers in concentration camps, prison camps in North Korea right now being tortured and experiencing suffering and and their children being born in those places and what do we say to the persecuted church and the martyrs that are in the earth all over the earth right now in closed nations and what do we say about the fact that there's more martyrs on earth happening right now in the earth in our generation than has ever been in any other time ever and just because we don't see it in the United States doesn't make it not real. And, I, and I'm like, if, if the message is I'm going to get raptured before anything bad happens, before tribulation happens, before great tribulation happens, then what is the... How can I honestly say that to believers born in prison camps who are getting their children taken, who are getting martyred? What do I say to believers in northern Nigeria who are, you know, getting their churches bombed and, and you know, being martyred for the gospel. What, what do I say to those that are experiencing deep, intense persecutions right now? And I thought, there's, it's not a sustainable message. 
the message, it works in the United States, but it doesn't work in many, many parts of the earth. And so then, you know, that brought me to this conclusion that if you've got a doctrine that only works in your nation, it's probably not biblical. It came from, yeah, it did come from Western. It, it's, a, it's a doctrine that originated in, in um, 1830. Um, and there's, a, there's so much on it. I put, I mean, I've just put hundreds of hours in it because I, I was so, uh, I was so for a minute ticked that everything I'd ever believed, I just couldn't even, I couldn't even uh, support it biblically. And so I, I read and read and read and read. I read all sorts of eschatological positions. I read post-millennial, um, amillennial. Um, I, I read books on pre-trib, um, and then um, I read mid-trib. I read, I read everything. I mean, I just read thousands of pages to, to, to get clarity on what are all the positions and what are their, what are their um, Bible, what are the, how are they interpreting the Bible verses. So, uh, so that was, that was the big thought that was just on my mind. It was like, if, if uh, I can't preach this to believers in other nations, this is probably not a Bible doctrine. If it doesn't work everywhere, it doesn't work. And so, so that had me, that had me uh, just philosophically. That was philosophically. So theologically, this was the nail in the coffin for me. So... Um, 1 Thessalonians 4, it is one of these verses that's used all the time. And, and I love it. It's a, it's a great passage. It's, it really is a passage where we get clarity that there is an event called the rapture. It's, rapture comes from a Latin term, um, raptus, and, and it's, it's this catching up, this catching away. And um, um, so in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, let's just read Paul. He says, um, uh, I'm going to give you the, let's read it from New King James. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. That's those who have died. Let you sorrow as others who have no hope. Lest you sorrow as those others who have no hope. He says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him, with Jesus, those who sleep in Jesus. So when Jesus you know, he, he rose again. God is going to bring with Jesus all those that have died in Christ. That's what he's saying. And he says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. And that got my attention. We, we who are alive and remain until the coming the parousia. Now that word, parousia, is the word that talks about Jesus coming and remaining. And here's Paul the Apostle who's saying, we, me and everyone else who's on the earth when Jesus' second coming happens. I go, wait a minute. Paul, he totally thought he was going to be on the earth at the second coming. I was like, he, he wasn't imagining that he was in heaven somehow before this event. He's on the earth at the second coming. He says, we who are alive and remain 
um, until the coming of the Lord, we will not precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, we're not going up before those who have died and, and, and are there at the, at the right hand of God. We're not going up before them. They're, they die, and to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He says, and then we who are alive, we're on the earth until the Lord comes. And I'm, going, I'm reading this going, this is like the main verse preacher of rapture people use, and it's right here in the verse that Paul's expecting to be on the planet at the second coming. And then he says, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. The dead will rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. Now there's your word, the, the caught up. That's, that's, your, that's your rapture word. It's harpezo in Greek, the catching away. The Latin is raptus. It's the catching up in the air. He literally says that the catching up happens at the coming. I mean, I was just going, I was just slowly reading it and I'm going, this is the verse that's been used for me for a pre-trib rapture this entire time. And Paul is saying, we who are on the earth at the coming will be raptured at the coming. It was like, oh my gosh, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. <coughs> Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And I'm going, if the rapture, if the catching up happens at the coming, there is no secret catching up seven years earlier. It's right there. And this is what Paul's expectation was. So watch now. Flip over one book to 2 Thessalonians 2. And I've, I've literally read that verse right to people, just, just like I did right now. I'm not adding anything in. I'm just going, see how Paul's saying this. And, and I'm not giving an opinion. I'm just going, this is what Paul's saying, right? And we're, we're agreeing, agreeing, agreeing. And I'll, and I'll break it down for them and they'll go, there's still a preacher of rapture. They'll just, they'll just look me in the eye and go, no, you're, you're a liar. You're false. Check out, check out my TikTok. We haven't done much on TikTok in a long time. Check out my TikTok. And I've done, um, I've done most of the stuff that goes viral for me on TikTok is me saying that the preacher of rapture is false. And then look at all the arguments where people just start wailing on me, just railing on me. You're a liar. You're a deceiver. You're this and that. I mean, just, just spewing garbage on me. And they will not, it's like they will not even listen, and listen to my, um, just, just to the verses. And it's just because they're hearing it so often from Bible teachers. And, uh, but you can't support it with the Bible is the problem. All right, so now 2 Thessalonians 2, what we find is that when Paul writes his next letter to that same church in Thessalonica, they're a little concerned. He says, I'm writing, because in, in, in chapter 4, he says, now comfort one another these words. And they're like, uh, uh, we don't really know what you meant. And so, so now he says, Verse 1, 2 Thessalonians 2, I'm in the New American Standard. He says, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord. There's our coming. There's our perusia. And our gathering together to Him. He's talking about the catching up and the dead in Christ being risen together. The catching up and the coming. He says, That you be not quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us. <laughs> In other words, he goes, I don't want you to be worried about what I wrote to you. That's what he's saying. 
He goes, to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. Now, that's an interesting point because he's now using this phrase, the day of the Lord, and he's tying it to the coming of the Lord and the catching up. And that's a broader theological discussion, but those, those are connected. So then he says, let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come. That's the day of the Lord. That's the catching up in our gathering, which he says in verse 1. Unless the apostasy comes first. There's a great falling away that's going to happen. Now, I've literally listened to a Bible teacher say this word apostasy means rapture. I, on TV, I watched it with my own eyes, heard it in my own ears, and I, I looked and I sat there and thought, that guy knows he's lying. Because that is the Greek word apostasia. That word is used for falling away from the faith only. It is not a catching up off the earth. Okay? It is not harpezo. It is, it is apostasia. It is falling away. It's a denial of the faith. And Paul says there's an apostasy that's going to come first. And watch this. The man of lawlessness is revealed. Who's that? The son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So uh, Paul says Antichrist has to be revealed before the Lord comes, before the catching up and the coming. Well, that in every model that's premillennial, that puts the coming of the Lord after the midpoint of the seven years because everybody agrees that that revealing of Antichrist happens at the midpoint, the three and a half year mark of that last seven years of this age. So it has to be after that, at the very least. And so reading these two passages, the first Thessalonians four and the second Thessalonians two, that was the nail in the coffin for me. And then when you go back and read Matthew 24, which I know Andrew already taught you guys on, you just see it, Jesus describes you, because I'm gonna gather everybody from the four corners of heaven when he comes. It's the, it's the rapture and the coming all in one event. And so, um, for me, the last thought would be Revelation, um, at, at the seventh trumpet, Revelation 10 and Revelation 11, um, we, we find that um, verse seven of Revelation 10, he says, in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, talking about the seventh trumpet, when he's about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished. The mystery of God. And when you study that idea, the mystery of God, the New Testament mystery of God, it has multiple components. But what is front and center is, is that in the gospel that Jew and Gentile are one new man. That the gospel gathering in of this one new man it's finished. The mystery of God is finished at the seventh trumpet. And so I go, oh wow, the gospel proclamation and the ingathering, it is finished at the day, in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel. Now flip over one other, ver one other page. And then what you find is 1115, the seventh angel sounded, there were loud voices in heaven, and the loud voices were declaring the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ and He shall reign forever. 
And Paul says it's at the last trumpet that the dead in Christ shall rise. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, this is the last trumpet. And heaven's declaration of the last trumpet is this earth is now coming under the lordship of Jesus. And so it just got real uber super clear to me that there wasn't a pre-trib rapture. There was a coming and a catching up. And Jesus, you know, taking rulership of the earth, it happens at the seventh trumpet, which means that there's days of great outpouring, there's days of great falling away, there's days of great trial, days of great signs and wonders, all the way up unto the coming of the Lord. And it's going to be the church's final, finest hour, and, and we get to be in here and, and holding Jesus' hand through the whole thing. We get to be a witness to the earth of what it looks like to not live for ourselves, but to love Him and lay our lives down for Him. And this is our glory. This is, this is the glory of what it means to live as Christ, to die as gain. This is the glory of what it means that I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. You know, this is the glory of what it means to be a bride that loves him like he loved us. He loved us, laid himself down for us. Why should we imagine that we love him, we're to love him any less? You know, and not every person is martyred. That's not how it goes. But in the event that someone would say, deny Jesus or lose your life, our answer is, He is my life. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, you will be revealed with Him in glory. And so, this has been the hope of the New Testament from the days of the apostles, that we would be a bride comparable to Him, that we would become like Him, we'd be transformed into His image, and we would live lives that are worthy of Him, not looking at Him as sort of a, you know, a lucky charm to get things the way that we like them and to make our lives super comfortable and super blessed, you know, and, and that we're offended with him when he doesn't do it our way. That's, that's not the thrust of New Testament Christianity. The thrust of New Testament Christianity is he, God poured himself out to redeem from the earth a people that would love him in the same way that he loves them, that they would be a comparable partner for the Son of God. And that this thing is not about our, our human pleasure. It's not about our temporal comfort. It's about the glory of Jesus Christ. And it's about, it's about His name and His glory covering the earth. And that we get to partner with Him, in, with him in, it in any way is stunning and shocking. And so it's, it's about His beauty and His wonder and us getting in on his, the hope of His calling. And so I think our... Our challenge in America is we're pretty stuck on our own calling, <laughs> pretty stuck on our own fame, our own plan, our own destiny, our own bucket list. And Jesus didn't save you so you could do a bucket list. He just didn't. He saved you so you could have eternal life, and that's knowing Him. So you can have intimacy with Him forever. That's the point. God wanted you. He shed His blood for you. You know, this is not about our temporal comfort or, you know, some pleasure that we would get outside of God. And that's the big lie, right? That there's something more pleasurable than Him. Yeah, it's so good. That some version of life in this age that's extra, that's beyond Him, that's different than Him, is a better life for me. Yeah. That's a falsehood. It's a lie. And the church has believed it for far too long. And you hear stuff like, 
especially from young people, they'll say, well, I don't want the Lord to come back yet because I've got a lot of living I want to do. And I just go, you have no idea. You're over there eating dog poop, and he is trying to give you a filet mignon of glory. And you are wallowing with the sows in the mire. Imagine that something in this life you could gain is of greater value, pleasure, beauty, and wonder than Jesus. And and somehow we haven't looked at him, we haven't seen him, we don't know him, and so we live apart from him, imagining that who he is isn't worth our lives. It's not what he died for. He didn't die for a disinterested church that was mostly about their own pleasure and their own comfort. He died for a people that would love him the way he loves them. That's who we are. Amen. Amen. So that's my, there's my little end times rant for your last day.